Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Cardiovascular Digital Health Podcast. My name is Dr. Hamid Gambari and I'm the Deputy Editor of the Cardiovascular Digital Health Journal. My guests today are Dr. Peter Noseworthy and Dr. Anthony Cashew uh, from Mayo Clinic who um, are authors of a very interesting paper titled An Artificial Intelligence Enabled ECG Algorithm for Comprehensive ECG Interpretation. Can it pass the Turing test? Welcome. Um, I want to maybe start by asking both of you to tell our audience a little bit about yourself and how you, did you decide to work on this problem. Okay, I'm Peter Noseworthy. I'm a cardiac electrophysiologist at Mayo Clinic. Um, I split my time between clinical practice, uh, invasive ablation, et cetera, but also I direct our ECG and physiologic monitoring lab. And in that role, I realized that we were sitting on a mountain of digital data. And with the advent of these sorts of technologies and application to medicine, we thought we should take advantage of that. Uh, because ECGs are obtained in a very consistent, reproducible way, the data and the data are very well labeled by our cardiologists over decades. We actually had millions of ECGs that we had available, uh, meticulously labeled, that we could use to derive these kinds of models. And it's been an exciting journey, I think, over the past five years or so. Um, I would say that we've the work we've done has had two main goals. The first goal is to do what humans can already do, but do it at scale. So reading an ECG, identifying the salient patterns, and reporting it in a way that's highly reproducible and valuable at the point of care, essentially doing the work of a cardiologist at scale. And the second uh, goal is to see beyond human capabilities. And some of the most interesting things and insights we've had have been training models to pick up things that are not readily identifiable on the 12-VDCG, things like hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, low ejection fraction, age, sex, all these things that we think might be informative, but aren't necessarily uh, able to be extracted uh, in routine clinical practice. And in, and in doing these two things, I think we can bring a lot of value to the old sort of humble ECG. We can scale what we do at Mayo Clinic. We could read ECGs for other people. We can read ECGs that are coming off various form factors. And then we can bring additional insights uh, with these, these uh, more interesting models. Um, Anthony Cashew is uh, uh, a cardiology fellow uh, who's passionate about ECGs and has been leading a lot of these projects. And maybe I'll give you a moment to introduce yourself and uh, tell the group how you came to this work as well. Yeah, thanks so much for uh, inviting us. Uh, my name is Anthony Cashew. I'm a cardiology fellow uh, completing a NIH T32 research track here at Mayo Clinic uh, under Dr. Noseworthy, my PI. So, um, you know, a lot of this work, my passion is in ECG education and kind of this passion of research uh, focusing on pretty much optimizing the way we interpret things and make clinical decisions. A lot of, you know, things we see is almost the art of interpretation these days has kind of gone lost. And so when the, you know, Dr. Nose really presented this project to me, it was just kind of right in frame with what I want to do. Can we actually improve and enhance the way we interpret EKGs to actually make a meaningful impact on the way we deliver care? Right now we rely on a lot of uh, computerized interpretation and sometimes that reliance has, uh, you know, it's inherently prone to error and that can affect patient care. And so we want to kind of find ways to actually further enhance the way we interpret to make less errors and actually improve the way 
we deliver care. Terrific. You are certainly the, the right people to do this kind of work. Um, and the work is fascinating. So if you could um, maybe introduce the paper to us and kind of tell us um, particularly the sources of the data and um, how did you uh, create the algorithm to do what you wanted to do? So we've been working with the digital ECG files themselves. And uh, the early work we did in applying machine learning to ECGs was a series of binary classification problems. And we would generally use a convolutional neural network to classify disease A versus disease B. And that has worked well for many of the questions that we have in medicine. But for a comprehensive ECG interpretation, uh, it's much more complicated than that. Um, so essentially, we have data that are labeled by our uh, cardiologists as having various characteristics, the things that we're all very familiar with, left atrial enlargement, the rhythm, the rate, uh, left ventricular hypertrophy, strain pattern, MI, heart block, all of these different essential labels that are applied. The challenge is that uh, some of the labels are mutually exclusive, whereas others often occur together. And uh, some ECGs may be labeled with one or two features, while others may have 10 or 20 labels applied to them. So it's not as simple as just looking code by code as a single binary classification, yes or no, is this present? But we needed a model that would consider all of these features uh, in combination. And even more tricky was the idea that we want the final uh, read to actually spit out an ECG read that looks like something a human would say. So we've had a, a slow evolution in our ability to label ECGs with AI that started with simple binary classifiers based on convolutional neural networks to a multi-class classifier with uh, multiple sort of parallel uh, networks. And then the final step uh, was inspired by one of our uh, AI engineers who had come across some Facebook code called inverse cooking where it would take a photograph of a piece of food and it would then spit out something that looked like the language of a recipe. Um, and it would basically identify the ingredients that were likely in that food and then how those things are usually relate to each other. Sort of an academic exercise, but it's a fun one where it's basically creating a human-like text uh, uh, string that is incorporating all of these different features, each of which have been individually extracted. So uh, that's the basic concept here, is that we wanted to have one output from the AI that gave it its best guess at what it thinks a human would read on an ECG. So it would minimize the uh, reporting of mutually uh, redundant or uh, uh, conflicting uh, reads, and it, and it presents it in a way that sounds human-like. We use the title Turing test in the paper because essentially what we're trying to do when we create a new computer system is to create an output that to an expert reader looks like a human. So if we blind a human to either the report as it comes off the ECG machine using the 12SL uh, to the final adjudication, which is a human interpretation, or this AI, uh, how often do our uh, cardiologists actually want to edit these and how often do they think that these are uh, accurate in the way they're presented. That was a fundamental fundamental question we're trying to answer with this uh, study that we're discussing it's today. It's a uh, fascinating work, um, particularly because so much of the algorithms that we deal with don't really make our lives much easier. Uh, they, they, they do things better, but oftentimes they complicate our lives so much more. So this is 
really fascinating to me because it's an algorithm that potentially can like simplify how I would go about seeing patients. It's gonna make my life a little easier. Um, so uh, when you're designing algorithms, is that some... Yeah, well, that's exactly right. So when we previously published uh, 66 different binary classification systems that can apply codes to ECGs, we thought we had got what we needed. And what we envisioned was actually creating a user interface that would then present the likely codes as the AI has identified them. But in fact, in doing so, we would make a relatively simple task, reading a routine ECG, into something that's much more challenging because you'd be dragging and dropping and deleting various codes. So we, we realized that even though it seems like it should be making our work easier, it would actually make it harder. So we needed something that actually put its nickel down and said, this is my best guess for a final interpretation. And that's why we sort of hold it to this uh, standard of the Turing test. So to do that, we identified, we just took 500, uh, yeah. That we essentially identified 500 ECGs that were sequential at Mayo Clinic. And we reported in a blinded way, the read that came off the ECG machine before they were reinterpreted by our cardiologists and technologists. The final ECG read, which incorporates the 12SL read, our technologists overreading of that, and then the final interpretation by the cardiologists, and then the AI read alone. And we presented those three uh, interpretations to expert cardiologists and asked them to make annotations and edits and determine whether the final read was acceptable, whether they would suggest minor edits, or whether there was some error in there that they thought was clinically consequential. So, uh, Peter, tell me what you found um, when, when, when you implemented this. What were the results of the study? Great. Actually, maybe I'll have Anthony answer that question. Yeah, so um, just to kind of yeah, happy to. So, you know, as Dr. Nose really kind of assessed, we kind of looked at three different variations, the computer generated, the AI interpretation, as well as the final clinical interpretation. And those are cardiologists here. So how our workflow works is an EKG is ordered, a computer analysis is made, interpretations made on the ECG. We use the 12SL Marquette here. And then we have actually technicians here that overread those. And then those uh, interpretations by the technicians are overread by our cardiologists. And so our technicians are trained in rhythm analysis, and so they do really well. We have less than 5% of changes we make by the clinical interpretation. And so that's what the final clinical interpretation is. So again, the computer generated, the AI versus the clinical. And we had cardiologists that, you know, I put them all together. They had no idea of what was what, what was, and based on what they looked at, um, we asked them to look at ideal, acceptable, and unacceptable. Okay, and ideal was defined as things that would have no change on the interpretation. It was perfect, and we did not want to do anything with it. Acceptable defined as this was clinically acceptable. It would not affect patient care. And unacceptable would be we had to make changes because we could not actually implement this. And so when we looked at all three of them, based on the ideal and acceptable, the computer-generated interpretation reads were about 85%. And when we looked at the AI interpretation, combining ideal and acceptable, ideal was over 70% and combined was over 90%, about 92%. And the final clinical interpretation was uh, about 
but when combined about 95%. So when we looked at all these, we saw that the final clinical interpretation by the cardiologist was still the best, right? But what we saw was that AI actually outperformed the computer-generated interpretation by about 10% when looking at ideal and acceptable. And for us, this has a lot of impact, right? We know that from the 1950s, when we started inputting all these computer-generated analysis to improve efficiency, workflow, in um, pretty much diagnostic accuracy, we saw that a lot of people had become reliant on it. And what AI in the computer analysis pretty much gives us is an unbiased, reproducible interpretation. The difference here is that AI has the ability to continue to learn, okay? And that's something that we really wanted to see. Is so even though it performs at this level now, it can continue to improve. What we looked at the literature, it was clear that what was going on with AI was limited, right? They were making single diagnosis, was AFib present or not, or specific rhythm abnormalities. And so what we wanted to do is provide a human-like, as Dr. Noseworthy mentioned, a parsimonious interpretation that could be actually used for clinical uh, interpretation. And so that's kind of where we are now. In so, I mean, it's a little reassuring from my perspective that the machine is still not beating the cardiologist. So uh, cardiologists out there. <laughs> yeah, certainly not. And, you know, just to clarify, we don't think it, it will or it should, right? We still believe that there should be an overreading clinician, an expert cardiologist or interpreter that can provide oversight, right? There's These are all air-prone machines and technology. While we love it, it helps our clinical workflow, or at least that's the goal, um, it's still prone to error. Um, yeah, I wanted to ask you a particular question about how this uh, system can be implemented. Um, I mean, it is, um, we know that when you suggest a diagnosis to a clinician, it can uh, influence what they actually would uh, code for an ECG. So, how do you imagine that this algorithm evolves alongside with the clinician when actually the algorithm is influencing the labels? I think that's a very good point. Um, right now, the 12SL uses uh, a straightforward measurements and a, uh, um, a, a criteria-based system to annotate, and it's static over time. Um, I mean, of course, the algorithms can change slightly and they may be software upgrades, but basically they're based on measurements and pre-specified criteria. So that's, um, it, it is is static. Here, we're actually modeling human be behavior and have, we have a feedback system where we continue to refine the model. They're going to read ECGs in a way that is contemporary with that particular ECG lab. And there, one thing we've noticed is that there are differences between institutions. So there may be institutional preferences for coding uh, things at Mayo Clinic that are slightly different than other institutions. So what we create is something that is a mimic of the expert annotation that happens within a, a, at a given institution. We have to be careful that uh, we don't uh, create bias or that we don't, we don't propagate bias that exists. And it's relatively straightforward and clear to see that in an application like ECG, but in other parts of medicine where there may be, for instance, racial or ethnic biases in the way we under or over-diagnose various conditions or the way we prognosticate or the way we allocate various treatment decisions, we don't wanna necessarily automate 
our current flaws and propagate those kinds of problems in the healthcare system. So that may be a scientific problem here with uh, ECG, but it can be a uh, ethical or healthcare delivery problem more broadly. So something we always need to remain cognizant of. Yeah, and just to kind of piggyback on that, you know, I, I think the most important aspect or number to look at from this study may not only be the ideal and acceptable, but also the unacceptable. And so when we had our uh, clinicians, our electrophysiologists review the ECGs, there were about 14% that were considered unacceptable on average amongst those three uh, of the 12 SL, the computerized one. The AI was about 8%. And the final clinical was about 6%. So, you know, if we can cut back that error, right, we know that there's so much fatigue, burden, uh, whether it's with all the tasks that we're now as clinicians responsible for, can we minimize that error by the machine and then further minimize the final reads? I, I don't know if perfection's, you know, an attainable goal, but can we do better? I, I think the question is, and can AI actually help us get there is what we're hoping for. Let me just make one more point about the kinds of errors. So, yeah, the, the, the sorts of errors that uh, the computer program uh, make are, tend to be a little bit different than the kinds of errors that the AI programs are making. So, in a sense, I think that these two models can be applied in tandem in a way that minimizes overall errors. So, we saw some funny errors with, with these uh, AI approaches, like uh, mistaking sinus bradycardia for sinus tachycardia. And that's not a, a problem that we would ever see in an analog uh, rule-based um, feature extracted uh, model that's counting QRS complexes. But there may, but when we're relying on a model that's using features that are totally different, uh, some of those very obvious errors can be made. So there may be opportunities to refine the models, but we also probably have to accept the fact that looking at an ECG through this different lens is likely to, to generate a different sorts of errors. So using these two together, I think, potentially could be uh, the most powerful application. And that, of course, brings us to the next phase, which is how do you implement? And what we'd like to see is a way to create a user interface that layers the automated uh, feature extracted reads from the, from the computerized system overlays a uh, AI read and then presents the data in a usable way uh, that can streamline tech workflow and then eventually a cardiologist workflow to get highly reproducible, high quality ECGs done at scale. Yeah, one of the things that keeps on coming up when we're thinking about implementation is, um, you know, clinicians who don't understand exactly what's in these AI models and what's it spitting out. So um, can you, um, give our audience a little sense of how you're thinking about explainability and its role in implementation of these algorithms? I think that's a very important question. It's probably the most common question that we are asked, especially from clinicians who want to understand how these sorts of things are working. Um, one answer is there are many tools that we use in medicine that we don't necessarily understand, but we take the results and we know how to apply them and we know uh, when they tend to work and when they don't work. And we can still intelligently use these tools, even if the mechanism is not fully understood. Um, still, our curiosity, of course, uh, drives us to want to understand what the models are seeing. One of our engineers has done extensive work on trying to 
look under the hood at the explainability of these sorts of AI models. And there are a number of ways you can get at it. You can take the input data, the ECG, and alter it in some way, uh, and then determine when it breaks down and, and the models no longer work. So for instance, if you're interested in the left atrial enlargement algorithm, you could blind to the P wave and then see, is the model still able to pick up the ECG if, we, if it's not looking at the P wave? If it is, then it tells you it's looking at other features outside the P wave for left atrial enlargement. Alternatively, you can do an attentional map or a heat map and look at an individual ECG and annotate the portions of the ECG that are contributing most to model performance. And that will tell you, at least on an individual ECG, what's contributing. A clever idea uh, that one of our engineers came up with uh, is to utilize something called the generalized adversarial network, where there's two networks trained, trained against each other, but the one model is actually creating an output um, that looks like the input data. So we're essentially creating a synthetic or, or fake uh, input data, in this case, an ECG. And if we're training it for an individual code, essentially what it will do is create a ECG that it thinks is the quintessential ECG for that various uh, uh, category. And uh, essentially that creates something that is often a little bit funny looking. It's almost like a caricature of an ECG, but it'll exaggerate the features that contribute most to uh, that um, uh, code of interest. So using these things in combination, uh, altering the input data, looking at, at attentional or heat maps, and then doing a generalized adversarial network to create an, a new synthetic input data, I think we can get at uh, understanding what's going on. And there are many other um, uh, techniques to doing that, but it's it's an area of ongoing research. Yeah, that sounds um, fantastic. So what what is next for um for this line of work, what are you guys thinking of doing next and how are you taking it? Uh, what's the next step here? Well, this is an area of very active uh, research at Mayo. Uh, as I said in our in introduction, we have two main goals, the scaling human work that we're discussing today and then looking beyond uh, uh, human capability to bring new value to the ECG. We now have about seven or eight models uh, that do the latter, the bringing new value to the ECG. And the next phase of testing of those models is to actually embed them in clinical practice within pragmatic clinical trials and see if we can identify um, uh, new diagnoses that were eluding our, our diagnostic acumen in the past. We've recently completed a randomized trial called EAGLE that tested our low ejection fraction algorithm. And the second trial called Beagle is testing our atrial fibrillation algorithm. Um, we hope to see whether we can actually deploy these in practice in a way that's clinic clinically valuable um, and uh, uh, is valuable to patients and clinicians alike. For the work that we're talking about today, scaling human work, uh, we have to continue to refine these models. And I think the next phase is to integrate them into our workflow. So we've created an AI dashboard that pre presents some of these models at the point of care. And the next phase will be to create a interactive dashboard that we can use to annotate ECGs. And we'll integrate both the uh, reports that come off the ECG machines, the analog systems, our AI systems, and then streamline our ability to label ECGs moving forward uh, using a combination of approaches. And uh, we have a team of uh, IT specialists and engineers working on creating those sorts of user interfaces uh, currently. Well, uh, this has been a fascinating conversation. Um, 
very very uh, interesting line of work and we're excited to see what comes out of your um, lab and your work next um, thanks again for spending the time with me this morning and uh, we look forward to sharing this with our audience